0: Welcome to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College Press production, featuring distinguished authors and contributors who get to the heart of the matter in national security affairs. Decisive Point welcomes Dr. Nadia Shadlow, author of Charting a Different Course, featured in Parameters Spring 2021 issue. Dr. Shadlow is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution.
1: Hello, Nadia. Thank you for joining us this morning. I'd like to talk a little bit about your article for our 50th anniversary issue. In it, you mentioned the failure of what you call liberal convergence and the unipolar moment. I wonder if I could draw you out a little bit more on that, elaborate on that point, please, for our listeners.
0: Sure, Tony. It's great to be here. Really, what I talk about are that we had four illusions that were these illusions that existed in the post-Cold War period and that they were leading us to make some of the wrong policy decisions. So I wanted to highlight what these illusions were so that you could go forward and maybe develop and craft uh, more effective policies. Basically, one of these illusions was that we were converging toward a liberal democratic order and that by opening up the World Trade Organization, the WTO, to China in the early 2000s, 2001 to be exact, that it would become a responsible stakeholder in the system, meaning it would be part of it and would also be merging toward liberal democracy. And that really wasn't the case. And we found that out several years ago, although many people were worried about that for quite some time. A second illusion related to that was that we could depend on multilateral institutions to meet many of our economic and security interests. And that also wasn't the case because within these institutions, you had states that were vying for power and control of those institutions. A third illusion was that the United States would remain dominant militarily, sort of that unipolar moment that we would dominate militarily across the land, sea, space, but that was not the case. We had lost that military dominance. We were contested across all of those domains, and technology really accelerated all of that. And then fourth, there was an illusion that technology would be good for democracies and good for the individual, and I think that we found that that's actually questionable. Technology has been used to great effect by authoritarian powers to control their citizens. And in my view, it's going to present real challenges to democracy. So those are sort of the four main ideas that I tried to convey.
1: Thank you so much for that explanation. Also, I'd like to touch on what you talked about as far as today's strategic rivalry and the things that the United States needs to do to compete better militarily and economically. Would you please discuss that a little bit further, too, for us?
0: Well, I think the first thing is to recognize that this is an era of strategic competition, right? And so that's the first step toward toward crafting better policies, because you need to explain to the American people, but also to our policymakers and our legislators, what's at stake and what the nature of the competition is. So I think it's really important that the 2017 National Security Strategy did that. And I think it's important that the Biden- Uh, The new interim strategic guidance that they published about a month ago did that as well. It called China a strategic rival of the United States. So first, diagnose the problem set accurately. Second, then, it's to look at how our economic, military, diplomatic instruments need to be adapted to meet these new threats and new competitive arenas. And I think we're doing that as well. After the 2017 strategy was published and put out there, lots of changes started to happen. There were efforts to protect American interests, things like ensuring that China and other countries were not coming in and buying up important American companies that had important technologies. That's broadly known as strengthening CFIUS, which is one of those Washington acronyms. But it's an investment committee that ensures that important companies and even strategic locations in the U.S. are not being bought up by competitors or adversaries. So there were a whole host of measures that I put in the defensive basket, improve our defense. stop intellectual property theft, ensure that graduate students at American universities who are from other countries are not exfiltrating important intellectual property that they shouldn't be doing, things like that, a whole host of defensive measures. And then there's also the proactive measures about how do you strengthen American capabilities? How do you ensure that our military can develop the necessary deterrent and other capabilities to operate in these contested environments? How do you ensure we have the right people in the right places? All of the discussions about STEM and how to improve STEM, which we've been talking about for over a decade now. Part of me is skeptical for a whole host of reasons, unfortunately. Not all of these problems are new. We've been trying to do these things for a while. How do we preserve our competitive edge in technologies like artificial intelligence, like semiconductors, looking ahead and advanced materials? A lot of people talk about this as whole of government. I actually don't like that phrase because I think it just means almost nothing. So I like to think of it as specifically, how do departments and agencies see how they're going to help solve these problem sets? They need to come up with the answers. They need to come up with their plans for doing so. It seems to me we spend a lot of time in government figuring out how to work together as opposed to actually getting things done. <laughs> so it's, fi- it's finding that, you know, that correct balance.
1: Nadia, thank you so much for being here with us today. And we wish you the best of luck in your further research endeavors.
0: Thanks so much, Tony. I appreciate the opportunity. I've always thought Parameters was a great publication. You all gave me my first sort of chance a long time ago now. I published my my first article in Parameters, War and the Art of Governance. I think it was in 2005. So I've always been grateful to Parameters for supporting my work. And I think you do great work allowing active duty military to convey what they're experiencing and thinking about as well as the wider policy community. And you provide a forum for them to come together. Anyway, I'm a big fan.
1: Well, thank you so much. That's greatly appreciated. Pass it along to the rest of the team. They'll, they'll love it.